Constantinople was a city where a European diplomat could not only learn about Ottoman diplomatic protocol, but might, at various points, also be able to learn something about the diplomatic practices of the Mamluks, Mughals, or Safavids. European ambassadors reported what they could learn of embassies from Africa and Asia because the complexities of the Ottoman Empire meant that such information could provide um, key to discerning the likelihood of the Sultan launching military or naval campaigns against European powers in the near future. Diplomats read the symbolic treatment with which the Ottomans treated other embassies because it indicated the state of political relations between the polity concerned and the Sultan. And Constantinople was a crucible for encountering or learning about politicians and political ideas from other parts of the world. Diplomatic protocol at the Ottoman court encouraged sociability among some groups of ambassadors at the same time as it inhibited sociability among others. At most European courts, diplomats attended court on a regular basis and therefore could socialize with one another and with the native courtiers very easily. But this was not the case in Constantinople. Consequently, where an embassy was situated within the city had a strong impact on the political interactions of the ambassador. Ambassadors and diplomatic agents who were posted to the Sublime Court on an ongoing basis, or resident ambassadors, were usually housed in Pera. The concentration of embassies in Pera facilitated sociability among those members of the ongoing diplomatic community. With embassies concentrated in one area, it was easy for diplomats to visit one another. For instance, in May 1625, a Transylvanian diplomat met the French and Dutch ambassadors, who were subsequently hosted by the English ambassador so that they could compare notes. Resident ambassadors expected to lay out significant sums of money entertaining other ambassadors. And while the ambassadors were wary of one another, and sometimes even in direct competition, they nonetheless shared selected information and cooperated for mutual advantage when necessary. Special ambassadors who were tasked with a specific, discrete negotiation were commonly allocated houses and palaces within the walls of old Constantinople for the duration of their embassy. As African and Asian rulers only sent special embassies, this necessarily spatially separated their ambassadors from the European residents' house in Pera. The Moroccan ambassador Abul Hassan Ali al Tumgruti, for example, was accommodated near the Topkapi Palace in 1589 to 1590. Judging by the papers of the English residents in Constantinople, there was little direct contact between European and non-European ambassadors at the port. Successive English diplomats noted the arrival of numerous embassies from Asia and Africa during their time in Constantinople, but they rarely mentioned any direct interaction with these missions. In 1612, the English ambassador did meet the Persian ambassador at the house of the Grand Vizier, but only noted that they had avoided any ceremonial difficulties, and this was despite his eagerness to report on other aspects of the embassy elsewhere in his correspondence. Similarly, the Habsburg ambassador Auger de Busbeck, whose mission in 1555 coincided with that of a Safavid delegation, makes no mention of actually meeting the Persian ambassador, despite leaving Amazia at the same time and on the same road. Yet both Buzbek and the English ambassador's reports show that they were keen to learn what they could about the Persian ambassador and his activities. The account of the embassy of the Moroccan ambassador Al-Tamgruti 
also suggests that there was limited to no interaction between European and non-European diplomats at the Ottoman court. He visited Pera, but made no comment on the diplomatic community who, that was living there. Nor does his account suggest that he ever met a European ambassador during his seven months in Constantinople. Perhaps more surprisingly, he also makes no comment about the Persian embassy that arrived at court in January 1590. This could be explained by one of two factors. It could be that the religious competition between the different Islamic polities inhibited him from mentioning it. He may simply not have wanted to comment on the relative power and claims of the Sultan, the Shah, and his own king, who was seeking to revive the Islamic Caliphate under his own leadership. Or it could be due to the nature of his report. This took the form of a travel account rather than a diplomatic dispatch. And so diplomatic details are often subsumed under a broader description of Constantinople and its environs. Specific aspects of ceremonial protocol at the Ottoman court did permit European ambassadors insights into the diplomatic activities of their non-European peers. The way in which an ambassador was received into the city was a public event that was easy for the European diplomats to observe. And from this, they could draw conclusions about the relationship between the Sultan and the ruler sending the embassy. Persian embassies, for example, had to cross the Bosphorus from Üsküdar. Their ceremonial entry into the old part of Constantinople over the sea was therefore an opportunity for the Sultan to show off his own magnificence and for the ambassadors resident at his court to see the Persian diplomat and his entourage. Diplomats noted the treatment their peers received, and they used these observations to understand the place of their ruler and other princes in the Ottoman understanding of international society. We can see this quite clearly in 1555, and again in 1612, when ambassadors from the Persian Shah and the Holy Roman Emperor were both at the Ottoman court at the same time. This gave European observers a chance to determine which prince was viewed more highly by the Sultan. In both instances, the Sultan chose to negotiate with the Persians before the imperial delegation. And in 1612, his reception of the Persian ambassador was more magnificent than the one he extended to the emperor's representative. The growing awareness among European ambassadors that representatives of the Persian Shah took precedence over them at the Ottoman court may explain why there were some efforts among those rep ambassadors representing Christian powers to enhance the prestige of all of the Christian embassies. For instance, it was a custom by the 1580s that the secretaries of the Christian ambassadors would ride out to escort a new Christian ambassador as he processed to the city upon his arrival. And there's no such indication that they extended the same courtesy to non-Christian delegations. Diplomatic gifts also presented an opportunity to gauge how well certain embassies and the principals who sent them were viewed. Diplomatic gifts were publicly processed to and through the Ottoman court. This meant that their content was easy for other ambassadors to observe, while the way in which they were received indicated what the Ottomans thought of the prince who had sent the gift. Gifts were considered sufficiently important that lists of the gifts given by non-European embassies were often sent as separate documents, not merely noted in diplomatic dispatches. And even when no other details of a mission were known, 
ambassadors related information about the gifts they brought, as the English ambassador did regarding the embassy from the Tartar Khan in July 1609. But perhaps one of the reasons why European ambassadors learnt so little and had so little direct interaction with non-Christian ambassadors, and particularly non-European ambassadors, lies in the records that those non-European ambassadors themselves created. For instance, in the accounts that survive of the Persian ambassadors stay at the Ottoman court, they make virtually no references to Franks whatsoever. And if they do, then they only mention them in the context of the wars that were or were not being waged between the Ottomans and various different European powers. <laughs>